Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Every talk on this podcast was originally delivered at an in-person event for university students, perhaps for one of our Thomistic Institute chapters on a university campus or at a Thomistic Institute retreat or conference. These lectures and events are happening around the country and around the globe all the time. To learn more, visit us at www.thomisticinstitute.org and sign up for our email list. We'll keep you posted about what's happening next. And finally, please subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to like and share these recordings with your friends because it matters what you think. What is humanity's end? You know, there are a lot of people these days that are looking for humanity to end. <laughs> um, there is there's this article that just came out in the, um, the Atlantic by this Adam Kirsch um, uh, detailing these kind of, kinds of movements. There's this kind of anti-humanism that uh, wants, uh, wants humankind to be over and done with because um, basically uh, they hold that self-destruction is now uh, inevitable, a kind of ecological self-destruction. And they even look forward to the extinction of the species. There are others who want to um, really uh, double down on the artificiality uh, that we've got going as humanity. This is a transhumanism movement, of course, that wants to sort of use all of our uh, scientific and technological uh, progress and prowess and, uh, and make us into a, a new kind of being, even going beyond uh, Homo sapiens, even some even talking about uploading consciousness into a uh, Kind of new kind of internet or something like that. These are both uh, both uh, visions of uh, of an end of humanity that really does away with um, the human species. And yet, it's been revealed to us that God has made us good and wants to bring us to perfection and bring us to to Him as who we are, not as as something else, as human beings. As, and as, of course, sons and daughters of God. So it is that St. Thomas, of course, uh, following this, this revelation, but also reasoning through uh, the revelation, sees humanity's end as one that includes its entire perfection, including, of course, the resurrection of the body. And that is, uh, Thomas doesn't see us as needing to escape our body, but that somehow we need to have our bodies perfected. They are good and ought to be brought to their best end. Now for St. Thomas, certainly his teaching about the end is central, and it's not just the material parts of what we might call eschatology today, uh, the matters of resurrection of the dead, uh, um, final judgment, um, heaven, hell, purgatory, etc. But there is a way in which Thomas's whole theology is eschatological or end-focused. Uh, recall, he's the one who brought Aristotle into dialogue, if you will, with his day, or the one who, not the sole person, but a kind of one who is known especially for that and who did that in a very, very thoroughgoing way. Um, and of course, Aristotle's uh, uh, teaching and thought 
uh, has a uh, profound and massive kind of reflection on, on causality, right? Including the, the, the final cause, which is, of course, in a sense, the principal cause. What's the, the purpose of something? In reflection, uh, in his philosophical reflections, he's often asking, what is the purpose? What is the end of something? We know things by their, their ends. And Thomas, um, with this kind of insight and Aristotelian uh, thinking around the science of, of ends or teleology, sees, of course, in Christian teaching and revelation, a kind of revelation about ends, about especially our end. He sees the whole of creation as having its end in God. God is not only source of all, but also the end of all. All has been created by him, and all in some way may return to him. And so it is that the, there's kind of, you might say that Thomas's uh, uh, theology um, is, has this kind of end, um, it's end-centered, uh, with the end, of course, being God, God the, the common good of, of all, if you will. If we want to look for where Thomas uh, speaks, though, then about um, the kinds of things we ordinarily associate with eschatology, that is, what are things to be like at the end? Um, we would look in, uh, we, you can look uh, across Thomas's, of course, uh, corpus, the things that he wrote, but uh, you might look um, first at his commentary on the sentences, an early work of his, sort of like what we today do as a dissertation, different in format, of course, but it's a sort of um, thing you do to qualify as being a master of uh, sacred theology. You write a, a commentary on the sentences of Peter Lombard, which was really a kind of, um, a kind of, a kind of systemat systematic, organized way of looking at the whole teaching of the faith. So there's that work. There's also his Summa Contra Gentiles, uh, where he, a work that he, in fact, completed. Uh, at the end of that work, uh, at the end of book four, there are four books, and at the end of that book, uh, there's this teaching on resurrection and judgment and things of that sort. Um, that's the other principal place. And there's also the Compendium of Theology, which is a shorter work of theology not completed, but he, he was going to organize it according to the virtues, faith, hope, and charity, and he finished the faith part and was just getting started on the hope part, but uh, there's a lot of teaching on eschatology in there. Now, one place per se that isn't a place to go for is eschatology, although there's eschatology scattered throughout it, is his Summa Theologiae. He never completed that work, right? Um, there is this so-called supplement to the Summa Theologiae. Uh, some of you may know about that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's cobbled together pieces of basically from the commentary on the sentences. So when I said go to the commentary on sentences, well, um, what you're probably going to end up doing is going to the, the, the supplement of the Summa, which has most of the eschatologically oriented material from the commentary on the sentences, and sort of, but lays it out in a different way. So the part that's not from Thomas is the ordering of that stuff, although it's, it's well-organized and, and good, um, and besides, available in translation. So, so yeah, those are, the play, those are the chief places to go for all of this if you want to do more you know, further reading at home, right? Now, um, 
or with your study groups and with the Thomistic Institute now um, and elsewhere. Now Thomas's eschatology, I've said, you can say it's centered around resurrection and judgment. I'm just going to be talking about resurrection, that is general resurrection, the, the resurrection of the dead. Um, I'm going to focus on that, but I'll talk about judgment somewhat, um, mostly in the second talk, but uh, somewhat here as well. So first of all, let's look at uh, the, the general resurrection. Um, yeah, the general resurrection, as, as portrayed in Scripture and described by St. Thomas, is really humanity's ultimate end. And it's, for St. Thomas, the principal, I would say, eschatological event, uh, as it were, in his theology. It's the one that, that comes up most often. If he wants to speak of a shorthand about what about the the the, the last things that's not a that's not a phrase of saint thomas by the way he will speak of the end or he will speak of um um uh resurrection and judgment and things related things like that or he will say um uh the resurrection of the dead and and things like that so he will he will um he will speak that way often um Resurrection um, is, in fact, the, the kind of final perfection of uh, the human person. Um, this is what makes um, the souls to become not merely souls, but complete human persons. Human nature is completed through the resurrection. It's not an accidental reward um, for um, for the human person. We might say it's a kind of accidental reward for the soul because the soul's primary, principal, and essential reward is entering into the presence of God. And yet, it's only with the resurrection of the body that the whole person enters into the presence of God. And so, the just not only are to enter into the presence of God in their souls, but in body as well. And so they are to do that at the bodily resurrection. Now, this resurrection is accomplished um, in and through Christ, of course. Uh, Jesus is the one who brings it about. Um, it's also accomplished, of course, for us creatures and along with the rest of creation in some way. The rest of creation is to be renewed in some way. And so we'll look, as we look at the resurrection, we'll look at this, um, as it were, the, the, the bringing of the resurrection by, by Christ. And then we'll look at the perfection of all of creation, its renewal. And we'll also look at certain aspects that come along with uh, the general resurrection, which are particularly, I would say, communal communal or social. That's with our first presentation. Uh, the second presentation will focus more on what you might call individual or more personal dimensions of, um, the, of the end and of the resurrection. So let's look first then at um, Christ and what bring, he brings. So Thomas's conception of the end affirms that God is the Lord of history, um, that the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead, is a gift that only God can bring about. 
Thomas insists that it's only by divine power that humans will be raised to incorruptible life. And so it is that you know, Thomas says, you know, of course, it's when Christ appears in glory that the resurrection will happen. And this fact makes it clear that it's by Christ's power that the resurrection occurs, for it is he who will raise us up to life on the last day. Now, Thomas will also say that the resurrection is the final perfection of the human being, and so it seems that it's even perhaps natural even to desire the resurrection, and Thomas will, will argue that way. But he will never say that uh, the human person or human beings or souls can somehow make their own resurrection happen. They cannot reconstitute themselves to become incorruptible, and they certainly cannot glorify themselves. Um, so notice, of course, it is all the, the souls that are to be raised from the dead. Um, being raised itself is, in a sense, not enough for us because um, even the damned are to be raised from the dead, but they are not to be glorified. And so their continued existence is to be a kind of continual uh, pain and suffering for them in the absence of God and without the glorification of their bodies. Whereas those who are found just and found in the Lord are to share in the glory of God and are to enjoy the glorious resurrection in the presence of God um, forever. And so it is that God's work through Christ is something that um, is to be awaited with hope. We can't make it there on our own. I remember a acquaintance of mine, not a Christian, um, but certainly acquainted with, uh, with Christianity, stated on social media, I don't know, I had posted something about the resurrection. He stated that resurrection is a kind of potential of the self. Um, that doesn't seem to be readily apparent, I would say. Um, and it's certainly not what's been, what's been revealed to us. Um, um, we, uh, we depend on and hope on, um, on Christ's work, um, on the work of Jesus Christ uh, that he will uh, affect for us, um, not some kind of vain hope on, uh, in our own potential. So Christ has, will come, will come to, to raise us from the dead. And so it is that our resurrection is to be like Christ's. And this is a kind of principle, if you will, of Thomas's doctrine on the resurrection, that our, our resurrection is to be like Christ's. Um, you can find a number of texts. There are the Pauline texts that refer to um, our um, you know, dying with Christ so that we, we may rise with him. Uh, Philippians 3 speak, speaks of our being um, conformed to, to Christ's resurrection. And so our, our resurrection is to be like his in many ways. Um, For one thing, uh, there's, a, there's a, a particular way that we are, our resurrection is to be like Christ, and that is um, Christ uh, was dead for a period of time, and so we too are to be uh, dead for a period of time. And so in this interval, we can see ourselves as participating in Christ's death. 
But of course, uh, this is just one of the ways, and in fact, perhaps one of the more obscure ways we might say there's to be a likeness between our resurrection and Christ's. Um, Christ showed himself to be uh, truly flesh uh, when he was ri risen, and yet somehow no longer subject to the, the weaknesses of the flesh in his resurrection. And this, he rose never to die again, and this is uh, the kind of resurrection that we are to wait, not a resurrection as was Lazarus's uh, resurrection. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus was going to, was going to die again. Um, we hope to, of course, rise uh, uh, never to be, never to die again, and this is what we are promised. There are some ways, of course, though, in which our resurrection is to be unlike Christ's. Um, uh, as the only begotten Son of God, there are certain privileges that Christ's resurrection has um, and certain differences. So, first of all, His resurrection was and is, will be the cause of our resurrection. And so it is that His resurrection came first, and He's uh, the first fruits of of all, of course, and so he brings us to faith and brings us to faith in his salvation, uh, of course, in soul, but also in body. Also, unlike Christ, we continue to be subject to the punishment of death, and thus our own resurrection is delayed. And it's only when human nature is completely freed from the punishment of original sin that it will be restored in the resurrection. And so there's a kind of delay between uh, Christ's first coming and his second. And this, Thomas teaches that it allows God to have mercy on man. He draws from uh, the letter to the Hebrews, among others. This allows God to have mercy on us that we may have time to convert and be saved. And of course, for each of us, there is a limited time, and we do not know the hour or the day when that time, that end of time will come for us, let alone for the whole world. All right, so that's what I plan to say about uh, Christ. We can also offer some reflections about cosmology. We'll take a seat here for a couple minutes, give my knees a break. The old um, body ain't what it used to be. Looking forward to the resurrection. <laughs> Um, now, for Thomas, yes, um, the, the whole world, we'd call the cosmos, in some sense, <coughs> is made for man. Yes, more fundamentally, all things were made for God, as I said at the beginning, but also in some way made for man. And so Thomas teaches now, Bear with me here, because this is a kind of ancient cosmology. But you know, if we put on an interpretive lens here, I think we can see more commonalities with what we think about uh, the universe than might be at first apparent. Thomas holds that, you know, along with many of his day, that the motion of the heavenly bodies and the processes of generation and corruption in the world all continue themselves for the purpose of human generation. Uh, that is so, so he has this sense that, you know, the heavens are moving and that, that this is kind of, in a sense, the heavens moving is a source 
of the kind of churning and changing that goes on um, on Earth. Um, we recognize for sure uh, the connection between um, the, the universe and ourselves um, and uh, the sun, we still say sun coming up and going down, but uh, the Earth turning and moving toward the sun and away, et cetera. We're dependent on that. If we were to freeze the Earth for a little while, you know, one side would fry and the other side would freeze in no time flat. Um, you know, we need this uh, this kind of churning for the kinds of beings that we are. And uh, so Thomas holds this, of course. And he holds that this, this kind of process is going to uh, continue until all those who are just come into existence. Um, so um, this uh, idea is found in St. Paul in a few places. Um, the idea until the, the, that until the, the full measure of the elect uh, comes, to, comes, comes to be and comes to, comes to, um, comes to hear the gospel and, uh, and um, has the, the chance to come to the Lord. And so Thomas thinks that, teaches that when all these persons uh, come into existence, um, the, this churning of the world, the turning of the heavens, will no longer be needed. Why? Because um, generation and corruption will cease and um, the processes of generation and corruption will cease. And so uh, you won't need to eat food or drink. You won't need uh, sexual relations because there won't be any need for reproduction. So, and ris risen humans will be corrupt. They'll be um, given a kind of gift so that um, they will no longer um, be subject to the, the, um, the corruption uh, that is brought by the, um, by the motion of the heavens. And so, and since there's no need, there's no need for reproduction nor for superior, material support for those who have risen, um, there's going to be no need for, um, for the world's motion. So it will stop. So Thomas, ha um, so the renewal of the world is not just something that kind of happens at the same time just because, well, that's what the Bible says. Well, it's true, it's what the Bible says uh, uh, in a fashion. But Thomas um, does some thinking and tries to think about why, why these events are related. And this is what he uh, seems to come up with. That is that uh, humanity is going to be different and so uh, the universe needs to, in a sense, match uh, the condition of, of humanity. Now, um, the world is not only going to change merely, uh, cease its motion and corruption, but also be renewed. And why is that? That is so it'll be a suitable place for glorified persons. So, yes, it's true they're, they're going to be the condemned, but they're not really the reason um, the, the world was created, um, and they're, they're not in the direct intention of God in the first place, right? Um, God allows uh, those who reject him to reject him, and yet um, also yet wishes each one to be saved. And so this is the way he made things. This is his intention for all of creation, that it be renewed. And so, um, this renewal of the world, Thomas teaches, will fulfill the desire of the just and reward them for their merit. 
and it will give them a kind of kinds of imitation or excuse me um, uh, manifestations of, of God's glory for the for the even for the senses. So this is fitting. If you're going to have this transformed body, you ought to have this transformed world uh, to provide indications of, of God's glory. Um, so man and the world are under God. One is not changed without the other. The transformation of the world is not a natural result of humanity's change in status. It's God who brings it about, and it's not a natural tendency acting by itself. You know. Um, Cosmologists today, you know, those who study cosmology from a from a scientific point of view, um, like to try to bring this this kind of thinking into dialogue with with uh, theology, and that's a very good thing. Um, it, it is interesting that cosmology seems to indicate, not universally, but seems to indicate that the universe had a beginning, and it, it's controversial as to how it's going to end. It's, there's, they're still trying to trying to figure this out. Uh, in terms of what we, we know from science. The thing is, from Revelation, what we know is that, in a sense, God is going to bring the universe to, to its completion. So we might be able to see what the universe has in terms of its own resources that God has already given, but we're not going to be able to read off of creation exactly what God is going to do with creation because he transcends it, of course, and has created it and can bring about something that it, it doesn't have the, um, the intrinsic potential to reach. So we can look at uh, scientific cosmology, but we also have to recognize that uh, God is beyond the things that we're going to find in, um, in all of our, our searchings. So we await bodily resurrection at the end of the world as we know it. Um, the, hope, the hope for a risen body carries with it uh, an expectation of a renewed world. And so the, the fate of humanity and the fate of the world are closely linked. And um, we might even say that for Thomas, the doctrine of the general resurrection and the doctrine of the renewal of the world mutually support each other, therefore. That is, uh, they, they kind of go together. All right. So now we want to look at um, some what I call collective aspects of uh, Thomas's teaching on the resurrection. One of them that is uh, is curious is uh, the notion of the the simultaneity of the resurrection. That is, there is to be. Uh, Humans are to be raised all at the same time, with the exceptions, obviously, of, uh, uh, of Jesus. Um, and his, his mother, you know, in a sense, the doctrine of the, um, of the Assumption is a kind of a doctrine of the resurrection of, of Mary, if you will. Um, in a sense, it means that uh, she was raised from the dead at her death. So as you, if, you're, if you're praying the Rosary, you're praying the Glorious Mysteries, Sometimes you might think of the, the assumption as parallel to the, um, the ascension of Christ. In a way, it's more parallel to the resurrection of Christ. Um, then there's the, um, the crowning of Mary, uh, Queen of Heaven and Earth. This is more akin, in a sense, to the ascension, in a sense, because uh, it's the doctrine that 
that uh, Mary uh, you know, is in heaven overall, uh, in the same way that the Ascension teaches that Jesus is, is in heaven overall. He's reached uh, that final place. It's a bit of an aside, but um, uh, um, that's the way Mary is, you know. She points us to Christ and then she, she just, yeah, so, yeah, do whatever He tells you. Um, so, yes, the resurrection happens then for everybody else at the end. Although it's interesting, though, another aside, but St. Thomas is willing to say with the tradition that it's possible that there, on an exceptional basis there may be others that are, that are um, bodily um, in heaven, and um, there, there are different traditions there. Um, Enoch, um, Moses, uh, John the Evangelist. Um, you know, these, are, these are those that, that, uh, that uh, he considers um, as possible, but um, only um, in a way as a kind of um, respect to, to, to tradition. These don't enter into kind of uh, a lot of systematic thought for him. In any case, humanity by and large is going to be um, raised at the end. There's a single, in a sense, human nature is shared by on there. There's a way in which there are common conditions to human nature, original sin being one of those, um, that it's subject to. And so there's a way in which human nature will be fully restored um, at the end. Now, that's not to say there's some kind of platonic idea of human nature sitting somewhere that does, isn't uh, instantiated in anyone. Um, but, um, but nevertheless, um, there's a way in which um, resurrection is not just about the individuals to be raised, but about all. Um, it's an event that fully reverses the fall in all things, uh, completing Christ's work. Um, Thomas will also speak of the shared joy at the resurrection, um, that the resurrection will occur at all, for all at the same time, so that the joy of each will be increased by sharing in the joy of all others. Um, also, you know, for Thomas, resurrection is not something that can happen, general resurrection, um, apart from a history that continues, um, apart from even the world's chronological time that continues. Um, resurrection happens at the end of the world, at the end of time, at the end of what we might call history, highlighting its significance. Um, the whole story of humanity has its resolution at the end. Um, it doesn't, the, the, the end though that God brings doesn't spring from ourselves as a natural result of what we have done, but it's rather God who brings about that end. So he's the one you know, who transforms the world. He's the one who raises the dead. These aren't um, natural potencies. They're not potencies against nature, though. So this is a curious thing. Uh, resurrection is, uh, in one respect, natural to us in that um, the soul shouldn't be forever without the body. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a good thing for the soul to inform the body. But the soul just can't, can't bring it about. It doesn't have the, doesn't have the power to do that. Um, needs help. Needs help. Um, yeah, 
Also, what God is going to do at the end is that um, he makes manifest to all um, what he is doing. I'm, I'm not talking too much about judgment, but um, that is one condition of a final judgment, right? That um, the judgment be manifest to all. And isn't that one of the things that bring, brings about um, some of the most... Uh, some of the most uh, excruciating suffering that we undergo when you lose somebody and you don't know why, you wonder why. why and why did this good person, uh, perhaps it was taken from us? Or when someone gets away with something, um, you think, uh, that is messed up. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's just out of our control. Um, uh, all is to be brought to light. That's part of, part of our, our hope. Of course, it can be, depending on the kind of life we lived, it can be a kind of um, point of trepidation as well. And this is why we, we uh, uh, abandon ourselves to the mercy of God, of course, and uh, seek His mercy and uh, that His judgment will be one that is merciful. So, this is another, in a sense, a kind of communal aspect to um, resurrection and judgment. Um, all that has happened is to be made known to all. And so there's this kind of communal dimension to what happens at the end. And so pictures of the Last Judgment are a kind of picture of a, a collection of all gathered before uh, the Lord. It's very difficult to picture how that might take place, but that is um, what we believe. And of course, you know, the body is that which naturally makes communal life possible for us. Um, you know, during, um, during the pandemic, we were forced to be, um, uh, for one reason or another, uh, apart from one another because of a, a communicable disease. Um, that meant being apart in body. Now, you could still kind of communicate in some ways and still in these electronic ways, they're not bodily ways, and there's, it's not the same. It's not the same kind of um, not the same kind of community. And actually, uh, we saw that there there was great harm, of course, um, to people um, by being deprived of uh, uh, communion with one another uh, bodily. And so, um, um, it's just uh, the way we are. Um, speaking at table last night, uh, but. Um, of course, we're, we're sacramental people, we know that, and um, that means being bodily as well as uh, being, um, you know, spirits, uh, um, mind uh, and, uh, and heart and body all uh, belong together, and um, we can't do without um, all, soul and body. And so what makes uh, the body is what makes community possible. And Thomas will say that, that the, in a sense the, it's fitting that uh, at the, the resurrection, when there is to be a complete restoration, that um, there be this kind of, um, that there be this kind of common judgment uh, for, um, so that um, the judgment not just be about uh, the individual, whether the individual goes uh, to be in the company of the Lord or uh, goes to be uh, forever outside the presence of God. It's also about um, what um, has been done in the body, what has been done by others, and the whole communion of, of the saints. You know, 
we speak of the communion of the saints uh, as existing now, and certainly there is a communion of saints, a communion of uh, the souls of the saints who have their communion in God. They don't have that full communion in nature that they are going to have when they are raised from the dead bodily. And so there is um, there's something lacking even in the saints, even, even enjoying um, the beatific vision, even enjoying, of course, God himself. They still lack that. And so the future that is promised to us is uh, a future in common. Um, for the blessed, it's a future in the body of Christ, in the communion of saints, the church. There are connections along the way, of course, um, between uh, the church uh, militant and uh, the church uh, triumphant, those, uh, those in via on the way and those in beatitude, in patria already. Um, those in uh, patria uh, pray for those in via. Uh, the living pray for the dead, and while the saints pray for those along the way, uh, desiring their salvation and their eventual joining of the company of the just. And so all this uh, shows, I think, um, a, a fitting way to oppose overly secularized conceptions of eschatology, uh, supposing that we humans can reach our own end through our own resources. Thomas's notion of resurrection, anchored in revelation and tradition as the final recovery of human nature, um, the ultimate overcoming of the effects of original sin, um, is especially helpful in this way. Um, human efforts in the world, that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, must of course be part of our Christian life, but they must also and always have in view the belief that it's only Christ who will ultimately bring about the world's perfection, making all things new. Um, theologians uh, had spoken in the past of a kind of eschatological reserve. Um, that is uh, the notion that, um, that, yeah, we cannot make the end come about by our own uh, endeavors. Human endeavors are always partial, always subject to improvement, always vulnerable to human frailty and sin, and always in need of being transformed at their root through God's initiative. And so, yes, Christ will come to raise us from the dead. Christ will come to raise the just to share in his glory. And uh, the world will be transformed as a fitting place for the just uh, to, to see and to be. And um, it is all the just that will be brought to life uh, in Christ. That's what I have for part one. All right, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.